Hi, welcome back to another episode of 24-Hour Video. I'm your host, Jason Green. Today my guest is James Murphy. You know James probably best from the band LCD Sound System, although he's done plenty outside of that, which we're going to get into on this podcast. Uh, This podcast begins in kind of an unusual way. If you've heard the previous episodes, I've left in some um, B-roll, I guess, some hot behind-the-scenes action. And in it, you're going to hear James ask me to not give him a long, flowery intro. He had listened to the other episodes, and he was concerned that what I was going to say would be too much, that I'd be laying it on too thick. So I'm going to respect his wishes here, sort of, because this is a two-part interview. It's a doozy. We spoke for about four hours, I think. So two episodes means two intros. So... This one, we're going to take it easy on him. This episode kind of sets the scene. It's sort of his origin tale. We start talking about the normal stuff, and then we get into where he grew up and what it was like, and I mean, we really do get into it. With every episode, I try to glean some kind of thematic element that attracts me to the person I'm talking to and permeates the conversation. With Sam, it was language. With Noah, it was wit, charm, and with Jesse, taste. I was weirdly struggling with James to find the theme, but then I realized... It was obsession. If James is interested in something, he is interested. For example, during the pandemic, he got into fishing and not like, hey, let's grab a pole fishing, like studied how to kill a fish with a metal wire so it's sushi grade. It's called Ikejima, by the way. And I would have never heard of it if I wasn't friends with James. He's got a specific system for everything he does. He'll tell you you're cutting your steak wrong or he has a better way to tie your shoes. And the annoying thing is, his way is almost always better. One time in Montreal, backstage, we were arguing about, of all things, daddy long-legged spiders. And I said that they were the most poisonous spider, but their fangs were too small to actually poison someone with a bite. So back in the day, people used to crush them up and put them in food to poison people or put them in their drinks to kill people. James said that wasn't true at all, that it was an old wives' tale. I looked it up, and, of course, he was correct. But I was so annoyed that I pretended that Google agreed with me. Uh, I don't know what he believes now. 
for this episode, the night before we recorded it, I texted him and I said I could bring my laptop over to his place and I had some mics. And he said, let's do it in the studio, my mics and computer. And then he volunteered his assistant, Corey, to engineer the whole thing. When I arrived there, there was two director's chairs set up with mics, total Terry Gross style. And on the monitor above the mixing board, it said 24-hour video podcast. He was doing my podcast better than I was. So this is where it starts. I've just sat down. The tape is rolling. And it's a great, albeit tiny, insight into how his brain works. I love this interview, and I love James. And he's going to get the real sappy intro for episode two. So prepare yourself, James. Here's part one of my interview with James Murphy. I hope you enjoy it. 24-hour video. Is, it, is the air conditioner on? <clears throat> it's about to get hot in here. What's the temp? What's the temp? Okay. Can you drop it down one degree? I'm a little toasty. I'm in here with Jay, and it makes me hot under the collar. <laughs> All right. See you later. Thanks, Corey. Okay, so your microphone's very directional, so you'll notice if you're over here, it's a big difference than over here. Well, hopefully I won't be having to turn to the door. Okay, I'm just, and I might, I might push, push your mic back two inches, just like, just a little bit. How's that? Say, say, plosive. Plosive. Pretty good. I had a, uh, anyway, well, we don't need to talk about spit guards. So you should do, you know, you're going to do the whole intro to me, about me now. You know, Brad Easton Ellis does that in his podcast. He does it in front of the guests. Oh, God. I just, I wanted to <clears throat> say, but I've heard the podcasts and don't, you just don't, don't, don't give me, don't, don't say anything nice. Don't say anything nice? Oh. Okay. Well, it's I unnecessary. Well, I, I, it's necessary for me to do an intro. Sure. Um, if you think so. Why don't you want anything nice? It's not that I don't want anything nice. I just was like. Um, me thinks you might protest too much. Like, you know, maybe you're going to say that I'm better than I am. Okay. Well, well, <laughs> no, it seems like, don't pretty, get worried. Don't get worried about that yet. Wait pretty, till you hear it. It seemed pretty glowing. I'll they, play they, it. They seem pretty glowing. Well, I've, I've only interviewed people that I really, I like quite a bit. Ooh, I have a suggestion. Turn up your headphone. If you have a headphone master. Is that this? Probably. Okay. Yeah, that's up. Because it'll keep you from moving too close to the mic, or just yelling like you're gonna. You were much louder than me because your headphones were quieter. Gotcha. These are the things I learned about. <clears throat> but the problem is, I often monitor so loud that I wind up doing everything like this. The program I use at home, I can't even really monitor myself, so it's a, <laughs> it's a complete nightmare. Um, well, how, we, maybe we can set you up after this. Give you the podcast pack. <laughs> <laughs> the patented DFA podcast. It's got to have plugins, I imagine. Oh. It's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's just an overpriced pile of mediocre gear that's geared towards people who don't know how to use stuff. <laughs> I thought that's perfect. It's like twenty five hundred dollars, and you get like you know like three hundred and fifty bucks worth of stuff. But, but it's called pod. But it says words like pod podcast. Yeah, USB it says all that stuff. I'm so. falling for all of it now. <clears throat> I thought I could do it with uh, you know my meager microphone but i was i was told wrong i was wrong yeah you were dead dead wrong um all right so uh what's the last what's the last movie you've watched has it been a while no it hasn't but i have to remember what i have to kind of think my my i sometimes don't have access to stuff meaning what like my brain doesn't work oh sure well take your time You can just edit out all this. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's the last movie I watched? Christina and I watched a movie. 
Oh, the last the last last movie I watched was actually the Pulp documentary. Oh, I don't know about this. <clears throat> yeah, it's um, songs about love, sex, and super, death in supermarkets. Okay, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just but I I, I just watched it um, half acidly, let's say. But I'm trying to think. There's other things I've watched recently, and I liked that documentary. I liked Pulp. Um, sure. Watched Nomadland. You did, yeah. Is that out, or did you get a screener? Yeah, it's it's on streaming services. Okay, we'll, I didn't, re- I didn't all around. Yeah. How? What did you think? I liked it. I liked it a lot. <clears throat> I mean, it's um, there's a lot of talk about how it's using non-actors, like real people, to play themselves, and it's visible. And I found that distracting in the beginning, and then I got used to it. But you see someone like Frances McDormand, like. Who, first of all, you know as an actress, like you yeah. know who she is, yeah. And making that adjustment to watching her with real people at first made both of them look bad to me. Like right. it made it, it was like the difference between the real people and her made both. You go, oh, these are real people that they don't know how to act, right? And then you're like, oh, well, Frances McDormand is not blending in with them. Isn't that job one? Like they are real people and you're pretending to be a real person. So, yeah. but that was my first, like it was jarring at first. Yeah. And then um, I got used to it. I heard a, um, <clears throat> an interesting interview with Sasha Baron Cohen. He was, you know, talking about the style of movies he makes, like the, the, the Borat style of films where he's mm-hmm. interacting with real people. And he was saying the biggest thing he learned was that when real people react to stuff, it's more camp than when actors, actors always try to be subtle with their, emo- and real people are putting their hands over their mouth yeah, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. throwing their arms in the air. <laughs> no way. And if an actor did it, you'd be like, he's just overplaying it big time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are, do you, do you watch movies uh, on the regular? Are you guys watching them? No, no, no. What's your, what's your pandemic viewing been like? I mean, I know it's affected basically how everybody has been absorbing the dreaded content word. Well, <clears throat> much, I have a, similar to other guests of yours, I have a very sleepy wife. So <laughs> there is watching with my wife and then there is watching with an unconscious body. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and also I, my wife, we wake up early with a, with a baby and I have been known to snore. So very often... I will let my wife go to sleep before I go to bed so that she, once she's asleep, she doesn't, she doesn't, I don't wake her up. Yeah. And even if I'm not snoring, I believe me being asleep before her causes her anxiety. The same for my wife. That, that keeps her up. So it's not just that like, even if I don't snore, she's like, oh God, he's asleep. God, I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta sleep right now. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> yes. Right now. Shit. Yep. I'm not asleep yet. Oh, was that a noise? Is he, you know, so I think she just like, gets in her head. And as a person who suffered from really intense, uh, um, insomnia as a kid, mm-hmm. like I really understand insomnia. I have mm-hmm. a lot of empathy for it. Um, and I have overcome it in, like incredibly like I can just go right to sleep I just roll over and go to sleep right I think that's just years of tour of like being like you gotta sleep now like there's like a military style you can sleep yeah and take it where you can get it yeah sort of the way that like people in the military can take a shower in like 10 minutes or like or like a minute or whatever it is like you know I can go to sleep right now um 
but she, uh, so she falls asleep. And so I, I, I did a lot of time looking for shows that I might enjoy, but that she would not be mad at me for watching without her. Right. So I spent a lot of, I did a lot of, I watched a lot of bad things that way. Sure. Um, and, and I watched some things that I really liked and then I watched some things and then had to go back and pretend I didn't watch them because I don't mind watching things twice. Same. This yeah. drives my wife crazy. She's like, well, I don't want to watch it. You've already seen it. And I'm like, what, how does that impact your experience in any way? Yeah. Especially if I really enjoy the thing. Yes. And yeah. I'm like excited to watch it again. Sure. Yeah. So I watched more of Fleabag than I let on. Oh yeah. Why, and, why, why, why do you say it like that? Well, because I watched more of it than I let on to her. Oh, I see. So yeah. that okay. I was like, she's going to like this. Yes. We're going we're gonna to watch this again. And I'm like, I watched the first episode and a yeah. half. Yeah. And uh, so I happily watched that all again Yeah. Um, with her. I watched just a show that I really liked called The Patriot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which made me very sad that it ended. Yeah. Um, this has come up with uh, some other people as well. Really? I, yeah. Which is, I have not seen it now. I'm like absolutely going to watch because. I really like it. It is on paper one of the worst ideas I've ever heard, which often is like a good starting point. Sure. You know, he's a sort of like a government, a, a, a secret ops government assassin who works sort of, whose handler is like his father-in-law or father. I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little confused. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I think father-in-law and who's known him since he was a kid. And, uh, he likes to write and sing folk songs. <laughs> and the show starts with him having just like been, he had been captured for quite some time and held in a, you know, bad place. And he's, he's now back in like, I think maybe he's in Amsterdam or something. And he's dealing with it by like going to open mic nights and singing these folk songs where he's like, admit you know like basically like i shot a guy in the face for the government and like I, I, it was the wrong guy and then i got the right you know like uh -huh. and that is a, such a bad idea that it has to be good do you know what i mean like it's so bad of an idea that you're like oh well somebody really worked on this because there's not gonna it's not gonna get made right unless someone's like wow they really executed that well yeah yeah you had to prove it yeah they had yeah. to prove it and the the there's a couple of uh uh, for lack of a better word, like there's a couple of moves the main guy has that I really like. Like when he he, he has a way of saying that he's fine. Like which like, is like I don't know. He's like, how you doing? He's just like pretty good. Like and it's like <laughs> he's got like dead eyes and he's obviously not fine. Like something really terrible is happening. So I was like, yeah, pretty good. And yeah. the and it Corey and I, um, uh, Corey who works in the studio with me and who set up all these microphones in case uh, yeah. you you deny that he was helpful. You know, it's a thing when something's really shitty that we now we still use. Right. Like, is that working out? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's worked its way it's into pretty, your pretty good. Yeah, and daily communication. It's just I don't know. I think it's a really great show. That's like, great. I really like it. So I spent a lot of time. I watched The Patriot, and then it ended, and I was really mad. How many seasons does it go for? I think it was two seasons, okay. and then then they didn't they didn't re up. Yeah. Um, there are things that didn't re up, and I was like, yeah. Um, sure. I watched that awful. A born spinoff show, Treadstone. Oh, wow! <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is like to be clear. Yeah. I am looking for things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That my wife will not want to see. Oh, at all. Trust me. I... And and I'm looking for series because I need to be like I can watch maybe one of these and then it's then it's kind of late. 
Like I can watch half of these. She'll wake up and be like, what are you watching? Why is that guy shooting that guy? And then I can be like, you need to go to bed. <clears throat> and then she'll go up to bed and then I'll finish that episode. And then depending upon when she woke up in the episode where the guy's shooting the guy, I'll either go to bed then or I'll watch one more. And so like a movie is not necessarily, and I don't want to watch a bad movie. I'm not on a plane. Yeah. But so I want to watch like the TV equivalent of an airplane movie. Yeah. Like it will entertain me. I like the Bourne films. I want to watch, like very often my wife and I are like, what do you want to watch? I'm like, I just want to watch Jason Bourne. But they only made a couple that were any good and I've already seen them and you know, I don't want to watch it again. Right. Like very often that's like shorthand for us. It's like, I want to watch something that engages my brain. It's kind of exciting, but it's not like using a lot of my brain. Yeah. It's good enough. It's just, it's moving along at the speed I need to be going. Do you guys like watching stuff that you can communicate with each other while it's on? Do you talk to each other while these shows are on or do you kind of focus on it? We kind of focus on yeah. it. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit. I mean, we'll talk a little bit if we watch like a, certainly if we watch like a documentary or re reality TV, we'll, we'll talk. So about you, do you watch, you watch reality TV? Well, reality TV is a pretty broad. Sure. I don't, well, I can't tolerate, um, Housewives. I can't tolerate anything yeah, like that. I, I can't. I, I, I could have guessed that one. I can't watch ramped up. I can't watch people who want to be celebrities willfully playing along with ramped up bullshit. Like I, the, everything about it is just the ugliness. It's an ugliness in humanity that I don't find charming. I find a lot of ugliness in humanity very charming. Sure. Like I find people's selfishness and stupidity and self-destruction. Like I, I, f I find a beautiful, like I, the, I am friends with the people I'm friends with for a reason. Like yeah. we're all sort of like a little bit broken. And I, I can, I reg, I don't, I don't want to watch movies about virtue. You know, I don't want to watch people being virtuous, Sure, but there's a, li there's a, le there's a limit. And like watching just like something like the bullshit housewives or something just right. makes me want to like wear a body bomb. So. What? <laughs> That's a good endorsement in some way though. Um, so what reality, what style of reality okay. shows do you like? Like British Bake Off, like that kind of uh, stuff? Well, we watched The Great Pottery Throwdown. Oh, British, wow. Okay. Because <laughs> Chris, Christina makes pottery. Okay. My wife makes pottery and my son makes pottery. So we, I like watching that. Yeah. I, I love watching like Grand Designs, the British uh, architecture show. Yeah. I like, we got into Drive to Survive, the F1. Oh, yeah. The F1 Trojan Horse. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know their their version of the ultimate fighter in a weird way like it's the it's the how do we get tons of americans to engage with the sport that they don't really understand and it was isn't it made by the guy who directed the documentary on the most famous f1 driver that was killed senna richard senna, senna. yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it the same it's the same <clears throat> people right yeah i think so which i thought was i've enjoyed <clears throat> i enjoyed both of those things very much well actually. i liked it because F1 was just like impenetrable to me. Yeah, I was yeah. Like, why do I even want to deal with this? It's like, who is this for? Like, I yeah. didn't understand culturally who it's for because it's like, you know, yeah. I didn't, I don't watch American, I don't watch NASCAR, I don't watch racing, I'm not a car guy, yeah. I don't get it. And then the, and I, I keep bringing this, my, my wife hates like MMA, um, ultimate fighting stuff. So, but I do bring it up. I'm like, this is the same thing they did. Like, this is like they took a page out of the playbook from, UFC, which was like this outsider thing that was like, nobody wanted to see it. And then they made the the ultimate fighter. And, you know, suddenly it's in regular TV and dummies can watch it and be like, this is cool. Well, also they kind of, they they 
give it a level of humanity. Yes, you suddenly know There's some characters. characters. You have people that you like, and exactly. that, and and I think F the F one were very smart to do this in the American audience to just be like. There's only 20 of these guys yeah. at max, you know, get to know them, yeah. care about them. There's only 10 teams, there's 20 drivers. It's like how, you know, get involved. And they did a good job of making it interesting and exciting and understanding a bit of the culture. And so we're now fully on board. Yeah, I, I've, and I've. We watch the races now. Like they, they, oh, you they, actually, oh, yeah. Yeah, we watch the races. We, yeah. yeah. I think, I think it is, you know, there's people to root for, there's people to root against. Yeah. Uh, instead of just rooting for a car. <laughs> Um, I was going to say about the British reality show stuff, we can mm -hmm. kind of skip over this, but there is a good natured, like great British bake off, for example. Yeah. So they managed to create this, this, um, competition show yep. that isn't hyper competitive right. and is very good natured yep. and also very charming and funny. Yes. And if that's by virtue of who they've cast as the hosts and, and, and right. the casting of the people. But it's been a thing that they've tried to replicate on other shows and in American shows like the voice and stuff. And they can't ever get the sauce correct because it's not the, there's an earnest we're assholes. Yeah. Well, and also even the other British shows, it's just like they're, they, they managed to create this very sort of genial, charming show. The pottery show is like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, they have that down. Well, it's like, I, I used to make fun of this when we would talk about like British versus American reality shows. It's like in, in reality shows in America with their competition shows, whether it's America's Next Top Model or whatever, inevitably someone says the phrase, I didn't come here to make friends. Yeah, yeah. I came here yeah. to win. Yes, yeah. And that's like, that's like the American default defense. I don't think that's the American, that's an American truth as much as it is like what, what we default to as like a... Uh, Defense for our behavior. And in the British shows, they always say, well, that's not fair. Like there's always like a, it's a, there's a, there's a complaint that it's unfair. And that's a defense for like a, a, a you know, a failure. Or it's also a, a way to redirect attention on yourself as the right, as the good person. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's different impeti, you know, like there's different reasons why people are making these excuses. But like it's, I always found it very telling that on every British show, someone's just like, it's just not fair. And they might be saying it about themselves how it's unfair to them they might be saying about how it's unfair to someone else mm -hmm. um it's the way that they get their moment yeah and an american will always just someone's always going to be like you know i came here to beat these girls yeah yeah yeah. like i'm i'm friendly like i'll be friendly but like let's be real about this yeah i came here to win and on the great british bake off the rack they actually are there to make friends yes <laughs> oh, in, the, in the great yeah the great pottery throwdown they're just like oh, it's just such a great community i do this all alone all the time i'm making yeah. ceramics in my shed and then just to be around people and learn from them has been such a great experience and i'm sad to go home but i i think it was the right decision <laughs> yeah yeah i think it was i didn't perform this week and i you know you have to be on your top of your game because everyone here is great <laughs> and you're just like you know it's it's you know it's 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 heartwarming I want to talk about sort of your movie watching origins a little bit. Okay. As a kid, tell us, uh, explain a bit where you grew up. Okay. And your family structure, all that kind of. I grew up, in, I'm the youngest of four uh, by a goodly amount. Uh, I refer to myself as a Catholic surprise. <laughs> I am from central New Jersey, uh, a town called Princeton Junction, which is the town next to Princeton. Um, 
which was mostly it was mostly a, a big farm uh, by a family called the Dyes, and they they had like a, a bunch of a couple of families on these farms. The town it, in a weird in a weird way is from like the seventeen early seventeen hundreds, but there was no town. It was incorporated, but it was just like a bunch of farms. And next to it was Princeton, which was like a, a civilized place. And then in the late sixties, someone decided to just like like literally throw some poorly built suburban houses in the middle of this field um, next to the train station. Um, and that was the town. So my parents had one of those, one of those houses. It was like the houses were cheap enough and had enough bedrooms for the weird mix of people that were moving into that area to do various jobs. So it was a new town in like late, it was a new neighborhood in the late sixties. So they, they had just dumped a bunch of green cards in Taiwan for like science people because there's a couple of science companies fmc and rca mm -hmm. there were science companies like on route one corridor which is close by and and so like my street was 30 percent taiwanese hmm. um and like so like you'd have these weird groups from no one was from there in my town except for in a couple of small houses which had been there for a long time but most people were from someplace else different countries different parts of the country my parents were from massachusetts um uh, they're the rare Irish people from Massachusetts. There's just a couple. There's a couple of them. A rare breed. For yeah, sure. it's really just a rare bird. We uh, people would come by and take photos, but they. Um, so, so that was my my town. Was just like it was a good had a good school and but it was like there was nothing there. It was a farm with mm -hmm. some houses in the middle of it. You know the movie No Way Out. Yes. Is that is that the wait? Is that No Way Out? No, no, not No Way Out. Um, what's you, the, the are you thinking about the one where the teens yes. uh, lock their parents in the school? Yes. And they, yeah, that Matt is, uh, Dillon's first movie, isn't it? Yeah. Over the Edge. Over the Edge. Yeah. Yes, Over the Edge. Amazing. Okay. Amazing film. The way I've described Over the Edge, the way I've described where I grew up is like, do you know how in Over the Edge there's nothing to do except that rec center? Yeah. W imagine no rec center. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, it's setting fires in half-built houses. Like, neighborhood, they would start a neighborhood, and then, like, they'd lose funding. So for a year and a half, there'd be, like, just frames, and you just get drunk and set fires in these half-built houses. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, fire, a lot of projectiles, sure. a lot of drinking, a lot of, like, you know, that was just my, it was a idyllic 70s childhood of, like, finding porn magazines in the construction site RV, yeah. setting fire to stuff, you know, stabbing one another with weird weapons accidentally and then hiding it from your parents while one of them's bleed one of you is bleeding profusely. I stabbed my friend Griff in the hand with a sword. <laughs> he had swords. He had swords on his wall. It's like part of his family's decor. They had uh -huh. swords hanging on the wall and like lit a morning star, you know, like a sweet Oh wow, yeah. hanging on the wall in like armor. It was like for whatever reason, we all had these decisions. Yeah. And they had f four boys and a girl who were mayhem. Like the kids were, they were notoriously the most mayhem kids in my town. And they had swords on the wall and then they would leave. And so of course we'd pull the swords off the wall and just be like playing swords, like clanging them against each other. And like, he had a little hand guard that had like, it was like wrought iron. And we, we had two skinny kind of Spanish swords and we were kind of going like, ha ha, I got you on guard. And I went right through his hand guard into his hand with the sword, like it went into his into the gap between his index finger and his thumb about an inch. And then we were stuck there and I've got my sword in him and he's like, 
pull it out. And so I pulled it out and it didn't bleed at all. And he looked, he's like, that's weird. And he like kind of spread the cut open. Oh. He, said, he said, it looks like a mouth. And then oh. blood just went bleh. <laughs> so my sequence of events was I've stuck a sword in his hand. Yeah. He has pulled it out, said it looks like a mouth and opened it. I see it as a mouth. Oh. And then the mouth vomits blood everywhere. Oh. It was like the worst. It was like, it was so like, if you made a movie where that shot by shot happened with special effects, I'd be like, no, 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 no. That's not how things work. <laughs> and it was, and, and of course, like then we wrap it up and then we're hiding the fact that this happened. Uh. And of course he could have gotten tetanus is like this vile old sword that's just hanging on a wall. And like, I think we loosely got the blood off the sword, put him back up and just like wrapped his hand up and had, he had to keep his hands in his pockets for the day. That was his plan. We were like eight or nine or something. It sounds like there wasn't a lot of parental supervision. Happening. There was no, you just had to be home at some point. And if yeah. you didn't, you just hear your name being screamed through the backyards. <laughs> and I mean, we would do, I, I recently came to the realization that I, I was once brave. I'm not like I'm, sort of chicken i see injury like i view i see a thing and i'm like oh that's that's how you blow your ankle out um but when i was a kid i was notoriously sort of like you could dare me to do anything and i i would do it i'd like i'd do it looking at you like i'm not chicken you know i was like so obsessed with not being chicken so we would do bike jumps like i'm gonna jump my bike across the creek which has like a big ravine in it and i would i know i couldn't make it but i just see what happened <laughs> and they would set up these ramps and i would do these jumps and I remember them setting one up and kind of trying to laugh at me like, haha, you don't see that it's it's going to collapse. Like that was the joke. And I'm like, I know it's going to collapse and I'm doing it anyway because I'm not a pussy like you guys. And I you know, wipe out and skin my knee in and get up. And be like, and then it, so there was a begrudging respect for me when I was a little kid that I would do this stuff. And the yeah. older kids were like, well, oh, Murphy's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but then I broke my arm mm. doing a bike, like shattered my left arm doing a bike trick when I was nine wow. like really screwed it up and my mom i was such a crybaby that my mom thought i was fine i was crying she's just like just you look she was looking at the bike and was sort of like look what you did to the bike and i told you not to do these jumps blah blah blah, blah. and i'm like eh. and she's like you're fine and then took me to swim practice and oh then, my gosh so i went to swim practice and then the coach coach pruto if you're out there picked me up and threw me in the pool and called me a pussy because I didn't want to go in the pool. And I barely like, I looked, I couldn't use my left arm. I kind of paddled to the side and all the other students were, all the other kids were like, dude, you know, he, his arm looks really bad. And I think he kind of got a little like, Ooh, that wasn't, so maybe I shouldn't have done that. But it was at the age when like that, there were no ramifications. Like, of course, you know, he could have thrown me under a car. Then we went to the swimming pool after swim practice. And then I was so covered in cuts that getting in the pool hurt so much. <laughs> and finally, the next morning, my mom was like, that arm, that arm's really ballooning up. Like it's not getting better. And they <laughs> took me to the hospital. And she liked to tell it as like, this is my mother of the year award moment. When I come in and they're like, when did this happen? Yesterday? Like what? <laughs> she's like sheepishly standing in the emergency room. Like, uh, ma'am, this is, if this was an emergency, that would have been yesterday when you needed to bring your son with the shattered forearm and hand bones into the doctor's office. And they had to re-break my arm because when you're that young, they all stitch back, the bones stitch back together immediately. And they couldn't give me any, any painkillers because when they reset the bone, the outer bone of my forearm was broken in, in two places and pivoted. When they reset the arm, my arm was bent. When they reset the bone, they had to make sure that they weren't trapping nerves and it, that would 
put me in shock after the after the bone after the Novocaine wore off. So I had to just sit there with my arms strapped in. Doesn't seem like science. That was awful. No, it was just like they just had to make sure it was right. And they they said once it's set, you'll feel great relief. And they did, and I felt relief, and it was true. Um, and uh, then so I swam all summer with this cast on, Mm -hmm. and then I got my cast off, and I was doing I was I'd been doing backflips off of the swim off of the diving board because I was a swimmer and a diver. And my friend kept saying, hey, you're getting really close to the diving board. And I, and, and I went and got picked up in the middle of swimming and diving with my friend, quickly taken to the hospital. They cut the cast off. It was the end of the cast. You know, it was the day that I was supposed to get it off. And I came back and he's like, I did it again. He's like, you're really getting close. So I said, I'll look. This was my genius idea. I'll see next time. So I did a backflip and I looked, I stuck my chin out to kind of like, where, how close is the diving board? And hit my chin on the diving board, bit through my lip, um, you know covered in blood swim to the side of the pool they bring me back to my mother um covered in blood an hour after or 40 minutes after she got back from the hospital cutting the the cast off my arm the next door neighbor kid who's two years younger than this kid matthew is sitting on my kitchen table crying while my mother pulls glass out of his foot with a pair of tweezers like it was just it just felt like mash unit at all times in my town like just triage yeah so like, it was so much of this stuff so she's pulling glass out of matthew's foot because i think three of them got glass in their feet and the other and they, the neighbor just had 10 kids or 11 kids or 12 kids i'm you know, seriously and two of them were getting glass pulled out of their feet by their mother and my mom was like, give me one of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so she's pulling glass out of his foot and has to, I'm standing there with a towel full of blood over my face. And she's like, oh, Jesus. So she pulls the glass of his foot, sends him home with my sister and takes me back to the hospital to get my f- face sewn up. And that same year, at, like a year later, when most of my face had healed up and I had been pushing water through the, cu- the, the stitches as a joke, like God. a so grim. Couldn't feel the left side of my mouth on the bottom. Um, I mean, the piece of my lip was bit through and hanging to my chin. I'm going to have to have a trigger warning. At the yeah, sorry about this. Yeah. <laughs> and then later that year, with still the stitch, the stitches had come out, and I, but I could still push water through it. Um, I went to my friend Chris's house, and I climbed up again, like, I'll do anything. Climbed up the side, like, did that corner where the chimney meets the house where you climb up a corner backwards. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I climbed up to the chimney has like a little, like, at, at a certain point in the chimney, they have like a little knee wall, they have a little a little angle where they get skinnier. The chimney's quite wide at the base mm-hmm. where it's as wide as the fireplace. And then it gets like half as wide halfway up to go up to the top of the house. And at that moment, there's a little angle that you can sit on. And I sat on it. And then I was like, well, getting up you're doing this tension thing where you're sliding up and then I get to that seat and I slide back onto the seat. And now I'm like, I can't get down. Like I can't slide forward. I'll just slide right off the thing. Like there's no way to slide myself back into that tensioned position with my back into the thing to crawl down. And Chris is like, uh, and instead of being like, oh shit, I'll go get my dad. We'll get a ladder, which is just what every kid should do. Mm-hmm. But no kid will do that because we'll be in trouble. What am I doing up there? Yeah. Why are we climbing up this thing? And it's like, I don't want to sit up here while you go get a ladder. That's going to take too long. I, I think I'm going to jump. Uh-huh. And instead of jumping onto the grass, which is very, very smart, mm-hmm. I look at this bush and I'm like, well, the bush, I've seen cartoons, the bush will break my fall. <laughs> and instead the bush 
destroys my left ankle. Like I jump down into this bush and of course I'm landing on something totally unstable. My ankle twists and all the ligaments are, are chaos and I'm back, back at the hospital. Um, and after that, I became hyper cautious. <laughs> That's a character backstory for you. No, it's that's a, how many. That's that's how James Murphy learns a lesson. <laughs> Three grim injuries in one year. But the thing was, like, I didn't realize this. Like, it took my wife telling me this. Like, yeah. I've always been like, oh, I'm scared. I'm very cautious about stuff, and like, I don't like. Oh man, I remember jumping off this thing, and I didn't want to do it. And everybody else does it, and I feel like a coward because I don't want to do it. And uh, you know, I've always been like that. And our son was born, and he's quite. Like, he's like quite like, oh, can I do this? He doesn't just do chaos stuff. My daughter, forget it. She's just like head first off the stairs, sure. Right. Like, she just thinks the world's going to catch her. Like, Hal was always like, oh, you know, do I want to, you know, he walks carefully down a little hill. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he gets that from me. I've always been cautious. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, like, I'm like, I, you know, always careful i don't you know in fact I, i'm so careful that sometimes i make mistakes because i just should walk but i'm o- overthinking it she's like but what about these stories i was like oh well yeah i guess when i was little i was a little less scared and she's like well didn't that have any effect on you and i kind of looked back and i was like oh right yeah like <laughs> that totally did like i had trauma but i didn't experience it as trauma like i experienced it as like yeah. uh, like but obviously there was a point before these things where i would do literally a- anything yeah like jump off of anything jump dive down the stairs head first in the laundry basket sure like <laughs> would do any of it and and if you dared me like forget it like pick a fight with anybody any size any age sure <laughs> like a nine-year-old picking a fight with a 13-year-old totally me like <laughs> did all of that but then i got really really hurt and that yeah it, it puts a damper Let's start here. What's the first movie you remember seeing that had kind of an effect on you? It could be something you saw on TV or in a theater or or whatever. I don't know if you. It sort of sometimes can be hard, but I mean, things all blend together. Yeah, uh, of course. I, I think TV was a bigger thing than movies growing as a little kid because I could because I'm full Gen X where I just was in front of the TV. Yeah, <clears throat> but. I remember being afraid of Star Trek. I didn't uh-huh. like this. The music came on. I was like, I don't like this. And I was like four or five. Uh-huh. But Star Wars, my friend Griff saw Jaws and Star Wars like when they came out, when he was like five right. or six. They, you know, his parents were like, sure, let's, Griff, Griff is uh, um, the one I stabbed in the hand. Yeah. So and the parental touch was pretty light. Yeah. And uh, he saw... I remember him coming home like, I saw Jaws, it's awesome, it's shark and scary. And I'm like, that sounds terrifying. And I was like, how did your parents take you to this? Like, sort of like, how did that happen? And so I wasn't allowed to see those movies. Um, and my parents, I wasn't allowed to see those movies and my parents didn't want to like take me to those movies. Did your parents go to the movies? N- not that I know of. Okay. Like, I think, I remember once they went to the premiere of The Deep. The Deep? Yes, in yeah. Princeton. There was a, they had a movie, they had a premiere of The Deep. And for whatever reason, my parents were invited. Huh. Like, and let's be clear. This is not the premiere. Of sure. The it's the New Jersey premiere. It is the Princeton 
movie theater premiere of the deep. And it was, but it was, but it was touted as like a premiere. Like I think they got dressed up and went and they didn't like the movie very much. Um, I think the deep was primarily designed to be like cash in on yeah. the jaw, jaws, jaws fever. Yes. Um, but going to see movies, not, not something, I don't think they did human social stuff other than drink with friends. Uh-huh. You know, they, they didn't have big dreams, you know? <laughs> um, uh, but I did finally go see Star Wars, like quite late in its release. Uh-huh. So I'm, when is it? 77? Yeah. So I'm seven. Right. And I didn't see it till like everybody else had seen it. Yeah. And my aunts took me, my, my, um, uh, my father's two spinster, spinster sisters who were like the best. They came and they took me. And I remember the thing I remember most about it was that I wanted a tab Mm. because I'd seen the ads for tab (laughs) and I thought tab was going to be really good because everyone really liked it in the ad. Mm -hmm. And then I had tab and I almost threw up (laughs) and I wanted instead, I was like, I changed my mind. Can I get another soda? And they were like, no, you insisted on tab. We told you that you didn't want tab, that you wouldn't like tab. (laughs) And you were so stubborn that you said that you'll absolutely drink tab and now you've had it and you want to get a new one? No. <laughs> so I went into Star Wars deeply disappointed with my beverage. Yeah, that's tough. Um, and instead had just like sopping with that weird butter oil oh, popcorn. Oh, I love that and, stuff. And uh, non-parels, uh, snow caps. Yes. Um, and I remember, and Twizzlers, snow caps, I think Raisinets. I think I had like the, yeah. the holy trinity of, no, it's of great. movie candy. And I remember the blowing up of the Death Star. Yeah. But I don't know if I liked the movie as much as I was supposed to. I I didn't like it as much as I was supposed to. Now, when it ended and I went home, I bragged to everybody I'd seen it Mm -hmm. who had all seen it already. Like Many kids had seen it like 10 times. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I feigned interest in it and I was given an innumerable gifts that year that were Star Wars related because it was the thing you got as a Mm -hmm. little boy in 1970s, a seven year old in 1977, Christmas rolls around and you are just going to get fucking bombed with Star Wars shit. Mm -hmm. I got Star Wars sheets. I still have them out there. I got all the Star Wars books. They were like book, coloring book adaptations of the story. Yep. And I much better remember the books. Like, I much better remember the comic books of Star Wars than I do the movie from then. Because mm-hmm. that lasted with me. Because I would read, I like to read. So I would read the Star Wars books. Yeah. Um, but the movie just kind of like, and I've, I, I, I went as Darth Vader, which I was so mad about. Because I said, I want to go as Darth Vader. And then my parents came home with the Darth Vader costume, which is a fucking mask and a, pic, a picture of Darth Vader. Yeah. On a shirt that's got a picture of Darth Vader and a cape. And yeah. I'm like, I'll tell you one thing Darth Vader doesn't wear. It's a fucking picture of Darth Vader. Like, if you want to not look like Darth Vader, I think this is the costume for you. Because unless you're Mark Bolin, you're not wearing a picture of yourself on your shirt. It just doesn't happen. Like, I was so I was so disappointed by this costume. Yeah, sure. And every year my mother had made me costumes. She made me a Mork from Orc costume, which was like absolutely correct. My mother was a seamstress. <laughs> she made the red jumpsuit and got some crappy boots, paint, spray painted them silver, spray painted a hel- football helmet silver. You know, I said Nanu Nanu, like I had the, tri- sure. the silver triangle on my shirt, like awesome costumes. 
I was a coward. I was a lion once because I was the cowardly lion in the first grade play. So I had the costume. My mother's like, this is a good, co-. it was a totally good costume. And then I was like, I'm going to be Darth Vader. My parents were like, fine, I'm going to go buy the Darth. I wanted them to buy it. I right. wanted a real one. I didn't want this crap that my mother handmade. That yeah. was totally like correct period pieces. Um, which if I had said, mom, I want to be Darth Vader. Can you make the costume? I probably would have looked like Darth Vader, but I wanted the plastic one everybody else got. And I was livid with how much it sucked. I think I bought, I wanted it because I wanted the plastic lightsaber. But, sure. But I didn't care that much. I didn't like it that much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't hate it. I know you, uh, did you, you were too young to have watched it I, in its time. I saw, I was old enough. The only one I saw in the theater was Return of the Jedi. And of course I loved it. I yeah. loved it. I mean, I was, I thought the Ewoks were brilliant. So. I didn't like the Ewoks. No, that's because you're older. Yeah. I think it, you know, and it, and it is a, it is a film made. For children. For children. I think men my age forget that. Yes. Like. On the regular. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't care much about it. It kind of left my mind. Yeah. Until the late '90s, when I met like Marcus, like uh, Shit Robot, like and like all those kind of like UK and Irish, like trip hop people who were all obsessed with Star Wars yeah. and obsessed with Star Wars toys and obsessed. And I was like, what? Yeah. Like, why? I think I, you know, I, was... I never liked the action figures. I had one. I got a couple from for the Christmas, and I was just like. I was never into action figures. Yeah. I, I, I hated that word. They're dolls. And I wasn't, I didn't think anything wrong, was wrong with dolls. I just was like, why are we making up this word? That, what, like, what is this? Like, why, why is this going on? It felt like I was in crazy town. Yeah, I was always, I think I was more interested in the toys than the, the movie. And like you, the books. I had a seven inch that had a storybook that it read along with it. And it was about the scene in Return of the Jedi where Leia gets knocked off her speeder bike and first meets wicked or whatever the hell yeah. his name is. Um, and I listened to it so much and I would act it out along with the seven inch. My mom t- took it from me and hit it and said it was lost. Oh my God. Um, because of my session with it. Did you, did, were, so you were the cowardly lion. Did you, do you remember seeing wizard of Oz? Yeah. I, I saw that at home. I was, I would see that like on TV. Would you watch that stuff with your family? Yeah. I watched yeah. that stuff with my family. So we'd watch wizard of Oz, of course. Yeah. My mother really liked wizard. Of Oz. My mother's favorite movie was gone with the wind. Oh Yeah. Um, did you watch that as a young? Yeah. What did you think of it at the time? I, I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I thought it sucked. <laughs> but now that I've seen it as an adult, I still think it sucks. I don't like Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Well, tell me why. I don't give a shit about any of them. Okay. I, it's just basically, I just didn't give a shit about any of them. Right. And like, I didn't care about the, like, she's going to lose her farm. I just didn't care about her or yeah. or the guy or like anybody. Yeah. You know, it's it's like... You know, I just didn't care. It Did just you, do didn't you get move me at all. Any there, so you, you, not even any aesthetic pleasure from from it. No, fair enough. No, I just, I just didn't. It didn't do anything for me. Sure, like it just like was like wallpaper. Yeah, and I think partially, I, and I felt that way partially because my mother was like, "It's her favorite movie," and I watched. It. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, like how is this your favorite movie? Like I'll take almost any movie over this. <laughs> I'm like, who cares about these people? Why does my mother, like a Boston Irish lady, give a shit about these people? How were you seeing these movies? Was there, was there, TV. A, yeah, but was there a chance, like, was, cause I, I know, you know, back then, slow TV, terrestrial television. Yeah. It would but, just be on. Okay. And then what, what we had a VCR early. We didn't have cable because my father said I'd pay for the goddamn TV. I'm not paying for the 
20, the 10. It's like the next day there's some guy <laughs> digging, a, in the digging a trough <laughs> for the front lawn. Uh, it, was, it was that. It was like, it really was. It was like just silence from him, like staring. And then the next, if I was making the film, it's just him staring. And then you cut to the guy digging like, the trough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And him standing with the newspaper in the front yard. Um, yeah. No, we had a VCR early because my mom was uh, sick. My mom got cancer when I was 10 and was given five weeks to live, which was fun. And and survived, uh, but was deeply damaged by both the cancer and the treatment. Sure. And so she was eventually, over the next year, she degenerated her, but she had a spinal injury because of the radiation treatment. Yeah. And she degenerated into a wheelchair um, and spent a lot of time in a rehab hospital. So she wasn't at home. So there was like this weird period where it was just like me and my sister and my dad and my older siblings had gone to college. And uh, <clears throat> where we made songs about how bad my dad's cooking was. Um, which he was probably like, thanks guys. Like pretty, I hope my wife and your mother comes out of this alive, but yeah, I do suck at mashed potatoes. Do you remember the song? Uh, no, it was just like, we just, every day. Yeah. It was just a new song about like, we need a straw for the mashed potatoes because dad's cooking. (laughs) How many ways can you make hot dogs? Right. (laughs) Spaghetti-o-nos. Like, you know, just like all, like, like, and he was just like fucking barely holding it together. Yeah, of course. You know, like, yeah, as a grown man now, you must be like. Yeah, you're like, oh, what a dick. Yeah. Like, what a nightmare we yeah, were. Yeah. Um, but so, it, so my mother finally like was really sort of like, they she'd reached a nadir in uh, what was happening to her. She mm-hmm. had stabilized. She was no longer degenerating so much with her paralysis. It, was moved, it moved up her body, moved from the left to the right and all this other stuff. And finally, she was going to be released home. So we had, we had to kind of retrofit the house for the hospital bed and stuff like that and get her in her bedroom. And my dad, I think, was like, we're going to get a VCR. Yeah. So that, like, she can go to the – she didn't go to the fucking movies. Yeah, 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 like, of course. But that's all the thing. So she didn't go to the fucking movies. Oh, right, right. right. Beforehand, yeah. it was like, well, she can't travel. She didn't travel. Like, you know <laughs> – like, they didn't go anywhere. So it's like, oh, no, she's not. What about our annual trip to Japan? Like, never happened. <laughs> so it's just, you know, she, we I guess movies were going to be a distraction. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we got the the VCR. And I the first thing I remember watching in that VCR. Now, my friend had a Betamax before that. And we watched oh. Airplane every day. Oh, wow. Every day we watched Airplane at yeah. his house. But when we got it, the first thing I remember getting was La Caja Falls. Really? Yeah, La Caja Fall was the first movie. And it was dubbed in English. Yeah. It wasn't subtitled, it was dubbed. I don't think my family would have tolerated dubbing. No. I mean, subtitles. My, I think my father's been quoted more than once saying, I didn't pay to read. <laughs> so. <laughs> the curious mind can't be stopped. It can't be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so we yeah, we watched La Caja Fall over and over. Because wow. you know, you'd buy these movies and they were like expensive. Okay, let's, for, for people who may not know what La Caja Fall is, explain the plot of La Caja Fall. La Caja Fall is... Um, it, it it's a French film mm-hmm. about a father, a di- divorced couple. If I'm, it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. Divorced couple, the father's gay, and he's d- dealing with his son and his lover. You know, like it's sort of like this thing where he's trying to play butch to to be like to you know. I, I remember very distinctly when his son or someone. Like he's trying to act all kind of like straight, mm-hmm. and then the other person just like wipes his face, 
and it's covered in makeup. So like even like dressing up to be a, like the guy, he's gone into like theater mode <laughs> to like dress as like a, a guy. Um, I, I don't remember it that well. Yeah. Did you like it at the time? I loved it. We yeah. watched it all the time. That's funny. Yeah. So I didn't like Star Wars so much, but I really liked La Caja That Fall. does set the table. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love that. And That's then good. there was a, uh, then, and so we had to find like the one place you could rent movies, which was like two towns over uh-huh. and had very few movies. Um, and my parents, uh, bought a V, the, a camcorder. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember why we had a camcorder, but it was for something. Some reason we just figured we were supposed to have a camcorder. We got a camcorder. Nobody used it till we had grand, till my parents had grandkids. Then when they used it, but uh, maybe I convinced them to get a camcorder. I, w- I was pretty good at like the, you know, I just mention a camcorder and leave and just keep bringing it up uh-huh. and then get my mom to buy it for my dad for Christmas. Cause we didn't know what else to get my dad. Uh-huh. <clears throat> that was a classic. So, we had a camcorder and we had an old crappy TV in the basement. So I took the TV in the basement and put it in my bedroom and the camcorder and used it as a VCR. And so I would rent movies uh-huh. myself. And what age were you? 16, 15, so 85, 86. Okay. So I'm jumping around a bit. That's fine. But like my mom got cancer when I was 10, moved, got, came home when I was 12, I think. Mm-hmm. 12 or 13 was when she returned to live in the house. And, uh, and we got the VCR. So like in those first couple of years, it's like my friend Paul's dad had a Betamax and we'd watch Airplane and, and Slapshot. Yes. Slapshot over and over and over. My God, I could just like, I watch it now and it's just, it's, it all exists in my brain. All it's doing is filling in the lines that, like filling in the, like the visual lines and the, the dialogue that's already in place in my mind. Yeah. It's like, it is like there's a groove, the shape of Slapshot in my brain. And it's just, this bar relief is rolling through that groove and fitting the, all the spaces that it's meant to occupy. That is a comedy that I think is a bit ahead of its, it's genius. time. It's um, Paul Newman. Yeah. Like. Minor league hockey team. Yes. Who's basically. Alcoholic in a minor league hockey team. Yeah. Everyone is miserable yeah. in the film. It's, and it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a raunchy movie. Oh Yeah. Um, but there's the guy who always has like crazy, filthy stuff. He's yeah. the biggest pervert on the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy's great. He's so good. Um, the Hanson Brothers. Yeah, it's a it's such a fun movie, and it's really dirty. And it was written by a woman, yeah. which I th- I think yeah. is which is surprising on first watch. But no, then it's it, not surprising when you when well, you look at it again. It's yeah, surprising. It again. It's surprising yes. when you have the, if you have this mentality that like a woman can't write raunchy, raunchy stuff. Sure, but then you read it and you watch it and you're it's, like, it's really the women characters are much more interesting and much more complete. Yeah. Like the you know, the girl the girl he's with, which is somebody else whose wife was it? Is one of the other players' wives? And yeah, she's, she was she left the player because she had a lesbian affair, and then wound up with Paul Newman for a while, and like you know, it was like, yeah, one of the women had the 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 woman that Paul Newman's having the relationship with calls him a weirdo and he goes i'm not weird i'm normal and she goes if you're normal then normal is fucked yeah and i think about that all the time <laughs> yeah. i mean it's a great it's a really good movie it is um, it is i mean it's, i'm sure it, i'm sure moments have not aged well i'm sure that's plausible <laughs> <laughs> 
but the Hanson brothers putting on the foil coach, like just yeah. so good. It's a very iconic film. Yeah, for sure. So airplane and slap shot. That, that's a that's a that's a winning duo. Yeah, it's you know can't beat it. Yeah, the, those were amazing. So that yeah. was just like on on repeat in my childhood. And then at home was the Kaja Fall. That's great. And uh, and then when I could get my own movies, I was I had already found weird music. Okay. So like weird music had already been had already made its entry into my life uh, when I was twelve. I mean, it was, I guess it started when I was young, but like I recognized that it was weird when other kids were old enough to like music because I was listening to music. I think when kids didn't care that much about music, I was like eight. I had older brothers, so I was like caring about music, and everybody else just like Kiss. Yeah. And I didn't like Kiss. Fucking hate Kiss. Stupid, and I still think it's fucking stupid. I mean, I can still like, I can retroactively be like, "There's some cool songs, whatever." But like, that stuff sucks. And um, so I already knew. So I'd already been like, "Well, I found this weird music that I like." What's the weird music? Give me just. I know, but don't you have to name just like a couple examples? Like the class, even just the Clash at the time, or like the Cure, or or you know the Violent Femmes or whatever. Okay. Um, B fifty twos. Okay. Um, we're not going like fully off no, piece, no, not like no, Terry this, it's Riley. A, or, it's a know. good, it's a good context. Zanakis. I'm just like, you know, it's just like, <laughs> it's just like the not, the not kiss. Yeah. You yeah. Know, the not. Yeah. John Cougar. Um, and, uh, so I was like, well, what about movies? You know what I mean? And there's no information. Like there's no, like what's <laughs> the best avant-garde film? Yeah. You can't Google it. There's, there's no information. There's nothing. There's no magazine. There's no. It's not in my world book encyclopedia from 1973. Like, what are the good? Uh, so I went and rented eight and a half. Wow. At 15? Yeah. Because, but I did, you know, like it looked black and white. I yeah. thought that would be cool. Sure. Um, I'd heard the name Fellini. Mm-hmm. Like it had come up maybe in Johnny Carson joke. Right. I didn't realize you were making a Fellini movie over there. Like, you know, it'd be like, it. he was a, a, the kind of thing you'd refer to. Yeah, at, to mean weird or avant-garde or foreign, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, uh, there might be a parody of a Fellini. There might be a, a momentary parody of a Fellini thing in an episode of Mash, or there might be, you know. Yeah. But I didn't know what I was getting, what I was getting myself into, and I loved it, and I, I it, it uh, I loved the character. I loved like. I loved that the fact that he had a hat made him the weird guy. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that was an interesting time when like he's the he just has slightly different sunglasses and a scarf and he's the artist. And this is the mid-80s where like everyone just had like crazy hilarious hair. MTV was starting and like, yeah. you know, like to see this juxtaposition between like what the guys in the alarm looked like and like <laughs> Marcello Mastroianni, like who just looked like the same as everybody else, but with like a slightly better suit and a hat. Well, it's he's not doesn't look the same as everybody. No, else. but no, like they're mean. all wearing suits. Yes, yeah, yeah, like yeah. they're like the, the the differences were so subtle. Sure, and that really I remember like at a time when differences were not subtle, and like in the mid eighties, uh, I, I felt like this it was a remarkable thing to see when you saw it for the first time at that age. Yeah, and you were immediately kind of drawn to the film. For did you did you find yourself comprehending what the film was, or were no. you just like this is cool? I yes. don't know what this. Yeah, this was cool. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't have the background in like, oh, this is Fellini's movie about making movies, and yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's how oh, it's bullshit. But at the same time, he's like, you know, he's trying to speak his truth. I don't know what the fuck. I was like, this looks cool as shit. Yeah, this isn't like whatever else 
movie we're watching that mm-hmm. I don't like. This isn't like for kids. This is weird and foreign and far from far away, and that's all I really cared about. Sure. And I I I liked it was I liked that it was in black and white. Sure. Like I was child. I was a child. You know. What I mean, I was like, it's black and white. Colors for losers, you know, <laughs> and so I just was hit or missing at what the Lawrenceville movie rental place had after that to sort of like go get something, mm. you know. And were you watching these alone or with friends? Alone, yeah. Um, I never went to the movies alone, uh, I always found that weird because I wanted to experience that with people, sure, but I watched things at home alone right. because my home time was just alone. Were you going to the theater a decent amount at that age or no? <sighs> yeah. You know, romancing the stone, Sure, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. You know, basically I would see movies like the toy at somebody's birthday party. <laughs> you know, I'd see, I don't remember when all these things come out, but like, I don't remember when big comes out, but like I would see movies at birthday parties. Yeah. And I would see Disney movies cause my much older sister. She's 11 years older than me. Um, sure she, at, the, at our ages now, I'm sure she loves being referred to as her, my much older sister. But Because um, <laughs> I had two older sisters. One was five years older, one was 11 years older. Yeah. She really liked to see Disney movies and didn't want to go by herself because she was an adult. Right. So she'd be like, do you want to go see 101 Dalmatians? I'm like, I don't know. She'd be like, I'll pay for it. I'm like, okay. So I'd go see 101 Dalmatians with her mm-hmm. so that she could see it without looking like a weird creep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I could see movies that everybody in my family wanted to see. In other words, if all four kids wanted to see a movie, yeah. If I went to my parents, was like, I want to go see this movie, they'd be like, Congratulations, you want to go see a fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> but if I, if all four kids, we'd all get together and be like, Do we want to all go see this movie? Yeah, I'd tell our parents, and they'd be like, Yes, because now as a parent, I understand like they could drive all of our fucking boring asses and drop us off at a movie theater and for two hours go have lunch or something just be two adults like just eating and staring off into space (laughs) and for two for two solid beautiful blissful hours like (laughs) we're just not dead someplace yeah yeah (laughs) you know like it was so um that was what we'd go see and i remember i remember we went to go see i was getting dropped off with my siblings at a birthday party to see maybe it's the toy we can we take a second to talk about the toy by the way yeah it's not a film it is not a good film that well no but i think also uh not a film that can pass muster these days oh no the premise is do you want to say if i i i saw it at this birthday party so and have not seen it it says it is a rich white kid yeah. who is given his a black is... a black man for his birthday <laughs> as a toy right is this not it's that's essentially Pri- that's yeah. essentially it yeah jackie gleason plays the yeah. the rich dad yeah uh, the son has everything and i think they go shop at feo Swartz when it's closed yeah. or something for his yeah. birthday and he and and Richard Pryor's working there as like a security guard or a janitor or something i can't i this part i'm not that clear on but he's yeah. like i want that. So he, Richard Pryor, is hired to be this kid's toy. <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, brother, yeah. Oh, brother is right. And then, like, that's what, you know, and it's marketed. If you watch, go watch the marketing, you know, go look at the ads. And it's like, fun-filled kids movie. Yeah. And that's what we went to see as a birthday party. And I remember the parent was just like, ooh. <laughs> like, <this is> not- <laughs> yeah. It was bad enough that then I think some people were like, that's not okay. <laughs> yeah. Back then when it's like casual racism was just like on the menu. Yeah, that was, uh, that's quite a film. <laughs> so, uh, 
Yeah, that's the toy. So I think heavy metal was playing in the theater as well. Oh, the animated, the animated film based on the magazine, the yes. comic book magazine. And I remember saying, oh, I want to see that. And my mother say, and my brother being like, I don't think you're going to see that. And my mother right. being like, it's rated R. And I'm like, it's a cartoon. How bad could it be? And my sister turned to me and she was like, way worse. Because anything can be done. <laughs> and I was like, I never thought about that. So I didn't get to go see Heavy Metal. Did you like, ever see Heavy Metal? Yeah, I saw it later. Yeah. I saw it on VHS like everybody else. Sure. Um, but I also thought it kind of sucked. Sure. Like it was kind of dumb. Sure. Like, like I, I, I wanted these things to be like, you know, I wanted to watch that and Fritz the Cat and be like, wow. Yeah. And then you're like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> sure. I, I think there's a, a lot of when you're a kid that you go see something because you think it's going to be titillating in some way. Yeah. What you're not allowed to see. And it's not titillating quite in the way that you had hoped it would be. Yeah. Uh, and I was, a, I was a sensitive boy. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't like a lot of the movies everybody liked. I hated Porky's. Oh, and all sure. of my friends loved Porky's. Right, because they're all horny teenagers. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I mean, but it's, uh, when is Porky's? Like, cause it's earlier than that. Eight, 80s? It's pre-horny teenagers in my life. Um, 1981. So, so I'm 11. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I was afraid of Porky's. Yeah. Like, I remember just the whole, the box, the presentation of it, it I was freaked out by it. Because it's like people peeping Toms looking yeah. through a hole in the wall. Like, I just... I remember being like, I was a very romantic kid, and I remember that there's more. To, there's more out there than this. This is, <laughs> come on, you predictable hooligans. Um, Did you have any friends that you that kind of had adventurous movie tastes like you, wanting to watch films like Eight and a Half? And nope. Stuff? No, nobody you know. Well, I mean, to do that, you had to have friends. So you didn't have friends. Honestly. I didn't have a lot of friends. Yeah. Um, it, I had, I didn't, I wasn't good at social stuff at a certain point uh, by the time I got I'm I mean I had people that I hung out with to a certain degree mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean my friend Paul uh, who I watched airplane and yeah and slapshot with every day he was a bass player in my band we hung out all the time and we just watched those movies back and left and right but I went through the 10 to 13 was a rough time yeah I hit puberty at 10 Jesus yes, Christ. super weird and super early and alone completely yeah no you know no reference point no i was not going through things when other people were going through things and then when everybody else went through things at like 13 to 12 13 14 i was like some old man that was just like i can't i don't understand you guys you're all acting crazy like i thought everyone was acting insane right and i was unable to process normal social stuff like how Two kids who used to be friends, and one one they were like buddies, and they would sleep over each other's houses, and they were the best friends. And they on my birthday, all eight kids come over, but only Scott can sleep over. And then like a year later, one kid's big and cool and playing sports, and the other kid's still into Doctor Who and Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And now the friend of the big kid is like picking on his former best friend, and he's laughing and letting it happen. And I was just like, I thought it was the invasion of the body snatchers. I was, I didn't, you know, I was, I was like screaming and picking fights with people and being like, what's wrong with you? He was your best friend last year. Like, I just didn't understand what was happening uh-huh. because it wasn't happening to me. Sure. It had like all, whatever chemical stuff had already happened when I was so young that all it meant was that I wanted to have sex with somebody when I was 10. 
I'm dead serious. Like I was just like, I'm in. Like yeah. I, re- <laughs> I just was like, I'm totally down. Like yeah. I liked curls. Like and and but there was no. It, it had to be internalized way because there was no like cheeky movies for me. There was nothing for me. I was just like, what the is going on with me? And I processed it in this hyper serious way. And then when everybody was like, check out her tits, I was just like, how dare you? Like I I just became this kind of like, like I just didn't fit. So I spent a lot of time by myself. Sure. And I didn't, I don't think it felt like that to other people. Like I don't think anyone would refer to me as a loner. Like it, right. it just, everyone developed these cliques and groups and I didn't. Yeah. And that meant that like when that group of three people, we'd all see each other at school. I'm friends with everybody. I get along with everybody. It's totally fine. But I kind of go home alone. Right. And I kind of go back home and watch movies and listen to records and fantasize about what my life's going to be like. Right. Which, you know, sets you up great for social stuff later in life. <laughs> but I think if we could, you don't mind just talking about it for a second. Nope. And, um, you your high school produced some some real people some real people yeah i mean this weird little town yeah um so you went to high school with christopher mcquarrie yeah who was the who wrote usual suspects yeah now makes all the now makes all the mission possible films and he was a very good he's still a good friend He's, he's like a family friend too he's he was two years older than me so did you hang out with him in yeah school? i hung out with him a lot yeah did you ever watch movies with him not much. He's two years older than me. Right. So it's a bit so, of a... And he was gone by the time I'm... So he's gone by the time I'm 16. Right. Um, 15, 16. And we did hang out, but not... Like, he had his friends. Uh, and I think he was a bit of a loner as well. And he had his friends that he did things with that were his age. And some other friends, if he was making movies, he'd be making them with Brian Singer, another director. Uh, he'd make them with Ethan Hawke and... Uh, Brandon Boyce. They all they all have careers. Uh, the, all those people went to your high school. Yeah, I knew Ethan Hawke. Yeah. I didn't know Brian Singer. Also yeah, went. Brian Singer and, and Brandon Boyce, who wrote App Pupil and still yeah. works in films. And like they would, th- I think they did movie stuff together. And I I kind of was tangential in that. Um, right. But Chris and I hung out, <clears throat> listened to music, and you know did weird stuff. Uh, but uh, I didn't really watch movies with him. Mm. Like. Um, that, that wasn't a thing we did. So there's like, yeah, there are people around. Were you friends with any of those other? You were friends with Ethan. I was friends with Ethan and Brandon. They were my year um, when we were little. Uh, but again, like they were best friends. Right. So Ethan and Brandon had one another. Right. Uh, I remember when Brandon moved, moved in because I was friends with Ethan. And then Brandon moved in and they started hanging out a lot. And I was like, damn. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to definitely be second fiddle in this one. <laughs> um, uh, you know, because, you know. Ethan moved in and I was like his, the first guy that like befriended him yeah. when people were kind of like, why are you hanging out with a new weird kid? Um, and, and he, I remember he spat on my bike cause he thought that I had gotten the Nelsons Griffin and his brothers to give him a hard time, which I hadn't, <laughs> but yeah, but no, no. So they all, uh, they did that stuff together. I didn't really do much with them about that. Mm. I remember right, working on a script with Chris at one point when I was like 16 it was about, and it was like hyper serious and dumb. And I think he wanted to make horror movies that were fun. And I think that was the end of that. What was the script? Do you remember what it was about? <sighs> I think it was probably about a, a, an athlete who gets in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
yeah, yeah. So now you're getting a picture. <laughs> That's good. Kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Very, you're a very serious guy. I was such a serious kid. It was just so unnecessary, <laughs> like so incredibly unnecessary. What What do you think it is about that town? Why Why so many from, especially that time period? We have. I mean, it's a really good school. It is there was, a lot of famous alums from that school? Um, or is it really just that little, that kind of pocket? I'm sure there are. There's some athletes and there's some... Um, uh, T- Tim- Timothy Patrick Murphy, who was an actor who passed away quite young. He was in my sister's years. He was much older than me. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on like TV and, and uh, he was on Love Boat once. And that uh-huh. was like big, big time. Yeah. And his family and my family were quite close like my sister and his brother were she was one of he was one of her best friends and that so like there are some people that did some stuff and i think there's people since that i don't i don't pay that much attention sure. but yeah. uh there was something in the water i think that era um you know it's the beginning of it's the end of super 8 movie era and the beginning of vhs era mm-hmm. we have proximity to a good university proximity to new york city proximity to Philadelphia, like there's access to stuff. We have good, um, great college radio. We had good public access TV. Like I could watch really interesting things on um, New York public public television. Which so like, yeah, it was great. Completely like, crazy. Yeah, yeah I, could, I, I used to watch, uh, I saw Charlie Atlas documentary on Lee Bowery, you know, and, and dancers in London with the fall playing when I was like 16. Wow. That was just on TV one night. I was like, I'm just standing there dumbfounded, you know. Did you ever go to like repertory theaters? No, no, no. No, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know. Somebody had to tell you there was such thing as a repertory theater. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. You had to see one and go to it. Like, I didn't know these things existed. Yeah. Like, I didn't have access to that in that way. Right. So it was kind of bizarre. Like, I think you needed someone to lead you in these things. And I didn't have that. So, but I also didn't know that I didn't have that. I just thought this is what you do. You just make it up as you go along. Yeah. You know, I thought that, you know, if you heard something about Lou Reed and yeah, I guess it's true. And then you never try to find out if it's true. Yeah. Like that was just the way it was. I didn't, you know, like there wasn't like a, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. I, there was no people around me that were, had direct access to information. So I was kind of like alone winging it. So, I wouldn't know. I remember going to New York when I first moved to New York. I was 19. And people were going to like small, going to the film forum and going to small theaters to watch things. And I was like, oh, is this what you do? Like, I didn't know it was a thing sure. that you, one would do. Yeah. I remember seeing Hannah and her sisters in the theater where they're in the back of the, th- like, I'm in the theater, four seats over from where a scene takes place in the film. Yeah. And I remember things like that. I was like, oh my God, like New York was kind of a magical place for that. But I, but I didn't like, pursue that it was mostly just what does this box look like at the movie theater at the movie rental place right so that was part one of my two-part interview with james murphy i hope you liked it i wanted to add a little anecdote here at the end um because as you heard james went to high school with chris mccquarrie the writer director He made the last couple Mission Impossible films, and he's making the upcoming one. Um, And when he made Mission Impossible Fallout, there's a nightclub scene. And in that nightclub scene, if you've seen the film before, 
and if you're a fan of dance music of any kind, you'll recognize the DJs as DJ Harvey. If you don't know who he is, he is one of the greatest DJs of all time. And a very deep cut, something you would not expect a Mission Impossible film or a Tom Cruise to maybe be aware of. And the reason why that came about is that Chris McQuarrie called James and said, hey, I'm doing a nightclub scene and these always look so stupid and fake. Who can I put in it as a DJ to give it some authenticity? And James said, get Harvey. And that's why DJ Harvey is in a Mission Impossible film, which I think is pretty amazing. So episode two, we're going to get into James's life after high school, um, his work with people like Mike Nichols, Noah Baumbach, the acting he's done, the writing he's done, and just movies he likes and directors he loves. It's a really fun episode, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. And I'll, I'm going to tell you right now, you're welcome. <laughs> So thanks for listening. Um, please follow us on Instagram at 24hourvideo. It's all letters, no numbers, 24hourvideo. If you can like and subscribe, that stuff helps. Tell your friends, share it, all that kind of good stuff because you're all sweethearts and I love you. As always, the music was arranged and performed by Nicholas Milheiser with a vocal stab from Nancy Wong. This episode was edited by yours truly and was specially engineered by Corey Ritchie. Thanks, Corey. So thanks for tuning in. This has been another episode of 24-Hour Video. See you next time.